Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Sension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Okay. How is your training going? How are things going? Are there struggles? Hmm? Um, let's let's contextualize it a little bit. Struggling is a part of training, but it is used as a technique, meaning struggling is not the goal of training, and also meaning that if my training is not taking place at a level where struggle ensues, then I'm not training. Does that make sense? So if you think uh, only in terms of physicality, you can have an Aikido where Uke is so governed by some sort of dressage masquerade or held in check by some sort of silent collusion where Nage is never pressed and therefore Uke's body is never at risk of injury. And under those kind of conditions, struggle will never come up. And without the struggle, you don't see. Well, you don't see. Your perspective is not only superficial, but irrelevant. So your training at a physical level must get to a point where a struggle will appear. And then your job is to use the technique of reconciling the struggle. Does that make sense? So if you train here and there a couple hours a week or you have no aspirations to having a consistency in your behavior on and off the mat, you probably will not struggle with your Budo practice. It, it will function in the same sort of superficial way and 
like a masquerade, it'll be a costume that you can take on and off and it'll never press upon you. You just come to the dojo, do your hobby-like exercise, and then you go out of the dojo and you continue on with your life as everyone else does who never entered the dojo. But if you are training where you are seeking Budo as a life practice and on and off the mat becomes synonymous, then you're going to struggle. Do you understand? So it's a very necessary thing. It is a good thing in the sense that you are achieving what is necessary. And compared to somebody who never struggles, is never bought, brought to the point of struggling, your practice is more fulfilling, fulfilled, and sophisticated. But the struggle is not the point. The struggle is the tool. Once you have achieved a contention point, like all contention points, what do we know about them? What is necessary for them to exist? Two energies pushing away. That's right, two energies. And through our teachings, what do we know about those two energies? Are they ob ob an objective reality that I cannot escape and must always be slave to? No. What do I know? What do we know? That I am providing at least one of the energies. That's right. We, we are providing one of the energies that actually manifests the struggle. And so by default, we are the creators of the struggle. Not participating in the struggle is Aiki. So not being pressed by whatever it is that is pressing us to push back is Aiki. So the struggle is necessary for training, but is not inevitable and therefore is not objectively real and therefore is subject to my, let's say, departicipation and therefore is subject to disappearing completely. So when we have a struggle in our training, we need to look at those mechanisms from our point of view. Where am I in my training making this struggle appear? Do, do you understand that? 
And of course, here we're not just talking about struggling in terms of you're wrestling with me. This Aiki is at the entire totality of our being, meaning it is a worldview or a philosophy or a practice that functions, yes, at a physical level, but yes, at an emotional or psychological or an intellectual level and at a spiritual level. So our struggles are not limited to, you know, you're physically pushing on me and I'm physically pushing on you. Before you do that, there is a struggle that is taking place at the level of, let's say, mind. And before that, there is a struggle that is taking place at the level of spirit. So I can actually enter into struggles in our practice that are not even operating at the level of my physical body. And those are actually the most destructive, but if reconciled, the most rewarding. And the solutions will be the same. We know what the solutions are, right? Ultimately, the struggle manifests through fear. And the fear manifests through the delusion of self, through attachment to self. And so if we look at our emotional or intellectual or spiritual struggle, we're going to see the same process. It's just sometimes when we're in the middle of the struggle, we don't realize how our self-attachment or our delusion of self is manifesting. And so we can't see how we're actually generating the struggle. Do, do you get that? So like we always say, awakening, enlightenment, these are phrases that point to a kind of scene that denote a prior event of being unable to see. So what are, what are we seeing? We're, we're seeing where we have the delusion of self or the practice of self-attachment so that we can de-invest or deconstruct the struggle and make it disappear. So I, I do look at your guys' practice. It's quite heroic from one point of view. It's amazing how you can get on the mat sometimes, the amount of weight that you have to push to get here, or the amount of struggle you have to go through to try to do the teachings, embody them. It's quite a heroic feat. I, I do not think I could do it. 
But sometimes that's working against you. This, this superhuman will to endure and to continue to push. is allowing you to stay in the struggle more than the next person. So let's take Zazen. So we just did Zazen. And you know I'm not a fan of the 10 minute, right? The 10 minute Zazen idea, the 10 minute meditation that's, you know, I think Sam Harris has an app for it now, right? And you do, all you need is 10 minutes. And of course, it's all geared towards things that we don't, we're not interested in either, right? I was, I'm gonna make me more materially successful. We're not, we're not talking about that. Those, that's all part of the delusion of self and the practice of self-attachment. So we take that off the table and now you have longer sessions of seated meditation. Somebody with that strong will can just push right through that. But is that Zazen? That, no, it's the opposite. So in Zen, we sit longer. For, it's for those strong people. There's people who are used to just gutting it and, and having locked jaws onto something like pit bulls. In other words, you intensify the struggle. In, in your physical training, there's gonna be people who will be able to push. So we increase the force, right? And it's kind of like uh, using an evolutionary model, apply stress to create the adaptation because without the adaptation, you fail. But there's a downside to that kind of training, and it is that not everyone survives. Some just fail. And when you look at who survives, it is the people who, in themselves, come through discipline to apply the teachings. It is not the people who are pressed externally to apply the teachings. So your struggles appear very, not at the level of physicality, although they do manifest on the mat that way, no doubt, but you're able to push through those and you come back the next day. But that struggle is preceded by a struggle at the mind slash emotional level, which is preceded by a struggle at the spiritual level. 
And if we press there, I do not have the sense that you will make it. So we don't press. I'm waiting, and part of you is waiting, for the discipline to apply the very insights you already were able to describe into what manifests or what is necessary to manifest a struggle and now deconstruct that mechanism so that you're not showing up so dependent or influenced or affected by mood or external things. So training is not fluctuating between good days and bad days and hard days and easy days. Y yes, okay. Good training operates at that level. That's the struggle, all right, but how many, how many years need to go by when my, before my training stops operating at that level? Does that make sense? Do you understand? Um, how do you deconstruct the struggle? So let's just, for our sake here, let's go through the philosophy at first. So what is it that generates the struggle again? Opposing energies. Yeah, opposing energies, right? And what... And am I one of those opposing energies? Yes. yes, okay. And what causes me to be one of those opposing energies? To go against the energy. There's something in me that tells me I need to oppose this. We, we call that fear. Fear's not like, oh, look out, there's a ghost, I'm afraid. Even in that case, structurally, what is it? It's a resistance. It's an, a non-acceptance. Do, do you understand? If, if, I, if I could accept that this ghost appeared, like I can't accept that that tree is there, I would have no more fear at that moment than when I see the tree. So structurally, we say, we don't say, I'm afraid because the ghost is there. We, we kind of reverse the causal chain. If I'm resisting, fear is there. So if I have a struggle and I'm resisting the struggle, then fear is present. And in order for fear to exist, I have to be practicing self-attachment. And in order for self-attachment to exist, I must be practicing the delusion of self. So when I want to deconstruct a struggle, I have to go down that chain. To deconstruct, I have to reconcile that behavioral path. Sometimes 
you can just operate at the early level, meaning it's pushing on me, I'm not going to push back. I'm still afraid, but I'm not pushing back. I'm still attached to self, but I'm not pushing back. I still believe in the, in, the independent objective sense of self, but I'm not pushing back. And you can get pretty far. But sometimes if you can really deconstruct the pushing back itself, you actually, all of it goes away. So much of your training at the level of practice, that's actually what you're doing. You're not philosophizing about the delusion of self. You're practicing releasing. You're practicing deconstructing the struggle. And in that deconstruction of the struggle, the self goes away. So too the attachment to self, right? And so too the fear. Do, do you understand? It's a practice, not a philosophy. So if I'm being pressed by something and I retreat, that's not deconstructing the struggling, the struggle. That's being overwhelmed by the struggle. And what will you see then? You will still see fear, right? You will still see self-attachment and you will still see self, only you're being overwhelmed. In, in our Aikido, this is, when, when you do that, you create yin space. You go, let's say you're doing a yumiyashi to the back, to the rear. You're stepping backwards. And you're going to create yin space, and boom, you're going to be overwhelmed. When you deconstruct the struggle along these lines, you create an, a, a hole, a suki, for naga to fall into. And you don't get overwhelmed. So... Whatever is pressing you, you have to try to at least start intellectually applying this process. At least start identifying the elements. But ultimately, your practice is a practice and you have to Out, act, releasing. Meaning your tissues have to let go. And your heart, and your mind, and your spirit. So some of the things... that I see as, as, I'm not saying this is the struggle, but this is a symptom, is uh, a difficulty in just training. 
there's a huge sense of, on the one hand, accomplishment, and a huge sense, on the other hand, of failure. They're both struggles, and they're both delusional. And they're both preventing you from actually embodying the art and therefore of success, how you would like it to be. And it generates missteps, false leads. Like, well, that felt powerful, so I know what power is. I'm going to hammer them. I'm going to muscle this. I'm going to yang on yang. Or the opposite one, right? I'm going to, well, I got chastised for uh, yang on yang, uh, so I'm just going to be uh, this kind of goo with no integrity. And if you look closely, every time you do one or the other, it's not like you feel you accomplished anything. So if we stick to this as a door, how, how can I come in and just train? Not be so mood-affected, mood-influenced, mood-impacted, mood-desiring. Do, do you understand? How can I train as if I am just breathing? Because is it, would, would that not seem to you to be a more mature practice? If my training is just like breathing, if we had two people and I have to teach someone how to breathe each breath, and they have to consciously apply all their effort, all their energy, all their struggling to breathe, I'm going to think intuitively, you don't know how to breathe versus someone else who's just breathing naturally. So how can my practice become more like that? It is a more mature practice, a more sophisticated practice. It is a reconciled struggle. It is an application of the art at the level of mind and spirit. So is this... Is this on the money? Do you guys have a lot of mood fluctuations in your training? So then where do they, where, this, where are they? Can you see them or no? Sometimes. Sometimes. And can you see yours? And so, when you do see them, what do they appear like to you? 
think sometimes getting nervous or feeling, ha having the feeling that I failed okay. when um, either I receive a crush from you or I see that I'm not doing what I'm being taught. Okay. And of course the other side of that too is when something feels different and better than what I've been doing, kind of getting this, um, not happiness, but sort of, in, in a sort of an elevation of spirits of, of I'm getting it. Yes, yes. So we just did Zazen, let's start there. This is, this is very common. When you do Zazen, it is not unheard of that you will have some sort of otherworldly experience. It, it could be a vision. It could be a sense of oneness. It could be uh, a near-death experience. It could be a kind of traveling without moving. And somehow that, in our ego, in our delusion of self, and our practice of self-attachment becomes very valuable to us. And so we continue to sit in Zazen, now chasing after that. How did that happen? That was so profound. But in doing that, we've set up a false dichotomy with ourselves in the middle. I have otherworldly and I have worldly. And so the joy and the the ecstasy of the experience, the profoundness as we described it, is actually not the practice. So equally as you mentioned that sometimes you get things right and it feels right, and there's a kind of joy and an ecstasy to it, is not the practice. It is no more the practice than when you feel something wrong. So you have to start there. Because that is not just training as if breathing. When I breathe, I don't go, that was a good breath. Oh, that was a bad breath. This is an okay, so-so breath. We just breathe, right? So when I do my training, I may invest myself, I may practice concentration, I may seek to embody all the details as they're being presented to me, but that extra step of good and bad and joyful and depressing is not automatically there. We're adding something there. And it gets in the way. Because if I get demoralized enough, then I cannot practice. I don't want to practice. Or, or even more broadly speaking, if I'm getting depressed, I will actually affect my immune system. It will be compromised. And I, now I'm sick. And now I can't train because I'm sick, 
because I'm sick. So I have halted my availability to continue to accumulate more reps. It's not automatic. Let's start there. It's not automatic that I can only chase after the embodiment of detail within a dichotomy of ecstasy and depression. That's where we went too far. Or not too far, but went the wrong way. That's where the practice becomes delusion of self and self-attachment and fear. That is where the practice is being usurped by our currently untrained self. And what I'm asking you to do is just train. Try to get the detail. Don't try to get the detail to feel good. Don't try to get the detail to impress me. Your practice has nothing to do with my practice. I'm, I'm not here to bless your practice. You're doing your thing, I'm doing my thing. Your, your thing adds nothing to my thing. The reason we're in the sensei deshi relationship is not so I make myself greater by you, is I get to practice the same thing, the same deconstructing struggle practice. Because in my relationship to you, it generates struggles, the same mechanisms. Contestation, fear, self-attachment, delusion of self does the same thing. But I'm not out to bless your practice, meaning our relationship is my practice for my practice sake, not your practice. But maybe we're bringing that in, do you see? We're bringing that in. We want to impress our teacher. We want to impress our dad. We want to impress our God. Look past that. And you're going to see the delusion of self, the practice of self-attachment and fear. And you just mapped it over with something that you can swallow. Like, I don't want to let my teacher down. You, don't, you can't let me down, and you can't lift me up. You, I will never give you that power over me. Maybe that's why we have that masquerade, because then it gives you power over me. 
Then I'm, am I supposed to struggle with power and powerlessness? No. You have no effect on me. Just like the attacker. There's no effect on me. So this is not about me, and this is not about us. This is about you, which is where all trading happens. And so you have to start there and go, let me just start with this. He said it's not automatically given. It's not automatic. It's not automatic that the only way I can try to embody detail is to begin this cycle or this dichotomy of ecstasy and depression. And in fact, he's telling me that that cycle of ecstasy and depression is the struggle that I am adding to via my fear and via my practice of self-attachment and via my delusion of self. Because what, what happens when this cycle goes the other way? And I'm not in the ecstasy of doing the technique right. I'm in the depression of doing the technique wrong. What, what happens? What happens on the mat? Do you, are you, is your next rep going to get it? No. You now push back harder in the struggle. Eventually, you come to villainize the teacher. You're more of a yin variant. You're more of a yang variant. So you push back and you, you tend to go immune, immune immunity and immune system compromisation. Now I'm sick. And you tend to go, eh, F that guy. It's not like you snap out of the struggle, do you see? So if I'm now sick and now I'm not training, now, well, now the, the very mechanisms of improvement, I'm not embodying them, I'm not practicing them. Or if it's F that guy, then, well, he's the one who knows the details. I don't know the details yet. So now I have, right, taken myself out of the path of progress. And we, so we end up the same thing. All for what? To feel good and to not feel bad. How about let's get out of that dichotomy? How can I just train purely? How can I do the pure technique and then beyond that, the pure practice? not this fluctuating mood thing. That's where your training is at. It's not in Ikkyo, it's not in Nikyo, it's not in Mount Reversal. Those are all just microcosmic struggles of this greater, deeper struggle.
So even when we are off the mat, we're probably doing the ecstasy-depression dichotomy. Oh, I did. I did apply this Buddha concept. I did. That, well, that's not actually the Buddha concept. That's like the Zazen practitioner who's chasing these visions. And just like those visions, you can have that vision and your wife or your boss or your kid is pressing on you and it's not going to help you. You're not going to be able to say, but I saw the light. It's very much like a black belt. I have a black belt. Stop kicking my ass. I have a black belt. These are not the things of real practice. So I put, I did a Budo concept outside. Service over self. Service over self. In Budo is the loss of self. If I feel good over service, via service over self, I don't have it. I'm not doing it. I'm doing the opposite. We have what Thomas Merton said. I have a pride in my humility. We're looking for a pure practice. What is that? That, that original mechanism is gone. There's no struggle. There's no fear. There's no practice of self-attachment, and there's no delusion of self. Boom, pure practice. I'm just breathing. That's what I mean by pure practice. I'm not fluctuating between preference and abhorrence, ecstasy and depression. So you, you might say, well... That's all I know. When I think of motivation, I think of move towards what's good and move away from what's bad. But in light of what I said, if you are requiring motivation to train, then this is a very immature practice. Are you having to motivate yourself to breathe? Well, all I know is, is I, have a, I get a teacher and then if I impress the teacher, then what happens when I'm dead? Your practice is gone. That's it for you. What about when I'm not there? What about the day comes when I say, that's it, I don't want to uh, have my practice function anymore through Deshi? What will you do? That's the end of you? 
Is your practice real so dependent on another person? No. This, this continually pushing and muscling, which I have described to you as yang against yang, is not aiki. So it cannot be the way of aiki. It cannot be aikido. But you cannot let go of it. And you're getting older, and we are not going to use the evolutionary energy against you. It will be done less and less. Meaning, if we start slamming you and expose to you in the most obvious of ways that you cannot push on what is pushing on you, we're not going to do it. So where are you left? And same out there. You push on these things and you chase ecstasy over depression. In all likelihood, your life will never reach that level where evolution, evolutionary energy is going to come in and necessitate the self-transformation. It has to come from within. You have to try something else. You have to, so to speak, problematize this struggle this preference for ecstasy over depression, the very presence of ecstasy and depression. It's, it's at that moment when you can't just train that you already apply yourself as a person doing the practice. Not coming in and, okay, I'm going to get psyched up for... No, no, no. That, that moment where you needed to psych yourself up, you're now not just breathing. You're now not just practicing. You're doing that other thing. 
That, that moment where you feel yourself about to cry because you're not getting it. Getting it is not the practice. Looking at why you are being brought to tears is the practice. Being corrected, you're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing, and you get frustrated trying to train without being, trying trying to do the technique in the face of that frustration, that's not the practice. Looking at why there is frustration, that is the practice. Getting sick, not getting well, so you can get back on the mat. That is not the practice. Why am I getting sick repeatedly? That's the practice. In this, in Saturday's class, I you rolled with your teacher, and you had nothing to say. The practice is not after the fact and going here, let me think about what I learned. That's not the practice. The practice is why did I have nothing to say? So I would like to see if you want my if you want to impress me, then let's put some introspective energy into this spectrum of ecstasy and depression and my attachment to it. Start there. Let's end the superhuman feat. And it is superhuman to train so long and so many hours while on that spectrum. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit ascensioncenter.com S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.